0: So those of you familiar with Crazy Train Podcasts, I like to bring on all types of guests. That means not just guests that are like entertainers, but people that are behind the scenes that actually help a lot of us um, with mental health. So I decided to bring on Dr. Lori Bisbee because she has a really amazing book called Dancing the Edge, uh, Reclaiming Your Reality. So I started reading it. And a lot of people are trauma survivors, such as herself, but the difference is she made something really awesome. She has this whole empire of you know self-help books and books that have really helped people. And she also sees people online and answers questions that way. So if you've had any type of trauma in your life, it's definitely worth listening to this episode, whether you have or have not, or know someone who's had trauma or just interesting because she has a really good story and has a lot of really um, awesome takes on things such as monogamy, polygamy and so forth. So let's welcome Dr. Lori Beth So I need to know about CPTSD because these are terms that I'm not familiar with. And I love the book, like Dancing the Edge to Reclaiming Your Reality just really brought up so many different things I didn't know. But please explain CPTSD to everyone because I still can't get my head around it.
1: Okay so so the book that book is a companion book to my to my erotic memoir and it is it's a great easy read to help people who have experienced trauma and gaslighting to make sure that they've got really essential life skills that they that people raised in those situations often don't end up having but actually lots of us don't have those skills so that's that CPTSD is complex post traumatic stress disorder and it is a diagnosis that is more recent Um, and it is for those folks who've experienced complex trauma, um, usually, usually, but not always. And for whom the trauma, the trauma took place at an age where they were developing their life skills for adulthood. And so It is harder to resolve because of the developmental changes. So PTSD, you could get in a car accident, right? Yeah. And you could develop PTSD. Um, And that's not denigrating anybody who has PTSD from a car accident. It's pretty horrible, no matter what caused the PTSD. But that's quite discreet. Whereas with CPTSD, you would expect to see a variety of incidents, either in childhood or in that cusp where you're turning into an adult. And so it disrupts developmentally as well. And that's why it's harder to deal with.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very, um, it's an interesting term because a lot of us during our formative years are exposed to so many different things that you don't know how it impacts your life much later on. For example, I was dating this guy for five years while I was in college. He was emotionally abusive. He later Mm -hmm. got fired, by the way, everyone from Scadden Arps. I don't know how that happened, but um, he was extremely emotionally abusive, but he broke up with me right after Christmas after he met my mom. So now moving forward, it's like after reading the book, I started saying to myself, well, is it possible that a lot of people I date do not meet my mom because of that whole fear that somehow layered deep inside of me? And I just wanted to get your feedback on that.
1: I mean, you know, we make associations based on our experiences, right? So if that were a particularly traumatic experience for you at the time, you may not, you may unconsciously keep people from meeting your mom, because in your mind, you've paired meeting mom and breaking up. Right. And that's in your mind. It's not conscious. It's not something you think about every day, but it's deep. That association is so strong that your fear is, wow, next time it's going to happen again. The only way of breaking that association is by being aware of it. And then by deliberately introducing
0: people to your mom and seeing a different pattern. It's my mom. I don't know about that. (laughs) It's a very different, trust me, that's a whole other day. They talk about daddy issues. No, I, I have mommy issues, but but she's a very good woman. So I was reading more about your book, I'm more into the book, and the whole topic of BDSM came into this, which is very, that's another interesting thing about you. They're just very different ways to handle things. I would like for you to explain to our listeners about how BDSM could help conquer a lot of these issues we might have or, you know, certain trauma in our lives. So
1: this is a controversial one. And I do say in the book very clearly that um, BDSM on its own is not great for conquering trauma. There's a trend at the moment over the last six or seven years for people to believe that they're not going to go to a therapist they're going to ask their dominant to help them through their trauma. And so I've seen this a lot with people who have been raped or sexually assaulted, that they want to reenact it. And they think that's going to sort it. And um, whilst there is a place for reenactment on its own, that's dangerous because you don't know how things are connected emotionally. And it isn't always obvious. And the person that is, you know, your dominant doesn't necessarily know how to manage your emotions, doesn't have training to do that. So, it, this trend makes me very nervous, but it is very useful if you are somebody who is into BDSM. And so, you're somebody who enjoys playing rough, and you've also been somebody who was the victim of rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse there is a place for playing out some of those scenes and having them turn out differently than they did in real life. And that, if you're going to do that, you do that with somebody who's a dominant in conjunction with a therapist who's willing to work with a dominant. So it's, it's actually a planned piece of therapeutic work. And the dominant does what dominants do. So they do the, 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 reenactment they play the bad guy they do the the beating or whatever it is right or the raping whatever it is right of course consensually having negotiated every part of it they do that part and the
0: therapist helps you process it's like a two-part um ordeal in a way i was working with a therapist before she was murdered um amy weber she was an old friend of mine and she really helped a lot of trauma but For a therapist to tell me I needed to go to a battered women's shelter of all things, when you haven't really been physically abused, I feel as though not a lot of people understand the real, like there is that difference because it's physical versus emotional. But do you find that there are some people who suffer way worse than being beaten physically? Yeah. And
1: look, being beaten physically is concrete, right? That's concrete. And the emotional suffering that goes with that are the associations you make with why somebody would beat you but it's still concrete. Emotional abuse isn't concrete. Emotional abuse can be very subtle. That's where gaslighting comes in, where somebody's trying to make you believe their view of the world and make you not trust your own gut and your own feelings about what's going on in your life. And that is crazy making. So that can be much more difficult to deal with and have much deeper hooks in you because it isn't discreet. It's, it's, the boundaries of that are wishy-washy, right? You don't know where you end and they begin. You don't know what's valid from what they're saying to you and what isn't. Um, Whereas if somebody hits you and you realize that you never deserve to be hit, then you can resolve the trauma from that place. There's nothing wishy-washy about that.
0: Do You find yourself working with a lot of uh, sex workers, with a lot of traumas and also just with the relationships in general, because it's very difficult as let's say there are people that are current sex workers versus ex-sex workers in any realm whatsoever that have a very hard time finding a stable relationship? Do you find a lot of those people um, as your clients? I do have sex workers as my clients. Um, I
1: have, you know, the, the kind of stereotype is they're all traumatized. They're not. <laughs> so I always think it's really important to say that, you know, I have people who go into sex work as my clients that are healthy human beings and are making a healthy choice for themselves. Um, And then I think sex work is work. So I always wanna make sure that people understand that this is a valid life choice. Um, Not everybody is coerced. I also see sex workers who have been coerced and that's part of the trauma. And so it's dealing with what's happened as a result of the fact that they were groomed or trafficked and coerced. in terms of having a stable relationship, I think the hardest ones are actually the heterosexual relationships. You know, I think the queer relationships are much easier, but the heterosexual relationships are are fraught with difficulty unless they're actually dating or involved with another sex worker.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a really tough thing to say because even in adult films, so I would date someone that was also involved and then it gets to this really weird thing of like, well, what were you doing when the camera wasn't gone? Or who did you work with today? It was really very evil and just terrible and competitive. And then if you try to date a regular person, there's this whole thing where they fall in love with the who the ah, the whole, you know, glitz and glam and sexiness of it, then the reality hits, hey, this is what your partner does for a living. So how do you think this plays out? Like, do you think it's unsafe sometimes to maybe have someone that's in the same business as you if you're a sex worker? Because it becomes a whole other thing. I
1: mean, it's, it's hard. You know, it depends on people's personalities and their own their own histories too. And for people who have like huge issues with jealousy, it's very difficult, you know? Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of do as I say, not as I do, right? Um, and there's a lot of projection of mistrust Um, And so that can be really difficult. But when it's somebody from the outside world, there's a lot of misunderstanding as to what your job actually entails. And so you can see some really interesting um, difficulties where the person's no longer seeing their partner at all. What they see is the person who's up on the screen. So they're making assumptions about what they're feeling and they, they imagine affairs and all sorts of things that aren't there. Again, because there's there's no connection to the real person that's standing in front of them. So I think when, the, in in a sense, it's just an, another issue that somebody who is well-known would deal with. Like you could be a straight actress and have similar issues that when somebody meets you, they're not dating you they're dating initially an image of you and that makes it really difficult when you turn out to be a whole human being
0: it is i just started watching the angeline documentary do you remember angeline from the 80s that blonde bombshell and all the yes. uh, the billboards so I became very obsessed with her voice with the "woo!" Ah, I know I've just it's like I've got I'll probably be obsessed this week with it. The next week it'll be something totally different. But I don't feel like the whole human being actually came to light, which maybe made me stray off from the story. But with someone that works with people a lot, is it hard to know if someone's like covering something up? Because if you can't get a whole picture, you can't treat someone.
1: Well, so there's two two parts to that. One is I've been doing this for 35 years now. So I'm pretty good at noticing when people are covering. Um, Doesn't mean that people can't fool me. And in fact, but it's harder to fool me in the consulting room. Like you're much more likely to be covering something and may not notice out in the world. Right. Because I'm not necessarily in my work mind. Um, But so I usually can pick at it and, and try and uncover whatever it is they're covering. There's two exceptions to that. One is that people lie to themselves. And if you fully believe the lie you're telling me, then you're going to come across believable. I won't know you're lying, right? Because you're lying to yourself. And so that's really difficult because that's about challenging the way somebody's looking at something and saying, you know, this strikes me as maybe not your full opinion. You know, is there a way that you can look at this differently? Is there something else there that i'm missing but if you fully believe you know what you're what you're putting forward it'll be hard but there's the other part to it and it's um it's one of my favorite stories about therapy is all you have in therapy is what the person brings to you and any therapist worth their salt remembers that what they're seeing is what the person chooses to bring to them um and, and it must have been almost geez it was 30 years ago that's really quite frightening 30 years ago, I remember that I was treating a man who was complaining about the fact that his business wasn't succeeding. That was one of his big issues, that his business wasn't growing. And so we we worked on, you know, scheduling things and we worked on the way that he builds and and his feelings around money and, you know, all sorts of stuff in order to help him build his business. Um, And we had stopped seeing each other finances were a problem. So we'd stop seeing each other. And a friend of mine had said to me, do you know a good decorator that you could recommend? And I knew he was a good decorator. At least i had been told that, right? And so I recommended him to this friend of mine, because money was an issue uh, for him. And I knew that. And he was, you know, as far as I knew, a good decorator. And she called me a week after he started the job. And then I found out why his business was failing because he never showed up on time and he never worked a full day. But as a therapist, I didn't know that because he never told me those things. When I asked about the difficulties, he never mentioned those things. So it's remembering that as any therapist or anybody who works with people, we see what you give us to see. So what we can do with you is limited by what you're willing to tell us.
0: Very interesting because for someone like speaking with you, I never would have had any clue. Like if I didn't know anything about you and I just met you at a coffee shop or a pub over a pint, I would have no idea that you suffered any type of trauma. Mm -hmm. For the past, I say two or three years, I believe that there's so many people I've met um, that have used the word trauma so loosely, but then they have a very victim mentality because nobody is doing anything about it. And I think once you have a victim mentality, you just get stuck in that. And that is how people see you. How did you manage to pull yourself out of it to become who you are today? I, I mean, I, I, had, I had brilliant therapy. I mean, I,
1: the first therapy that I had after my own experiences, which were pretty catastrophic. So, you know, I, um, I got PTSD immediately. And the first therapy that I had really was just therapy to hold me together. And I needed that in order to be able to function. Um, and then I tried a few different things. And then, um, I was at an event cause I was, I decided to study, to be a therapist, um, which is not unusual when people are trying to sort out what's going on with themselves to want to work with others. So I was at a conference and I met these guys who did this form of therapy called traumatic incident reduction. And, um, I hadn't heard about it. And I was getting ready to do my PhD dissertation, a research project. And one of the guys said, I'll tell you what. I'll make a deal with you. You come spend a week with us, and we're going to, and we'll work on your issues. And if you think you gain benefit out of it, you agree that you're going to research it. So I thought, great. What have I got to lose? Right? I had room and board. I had my transportation up there, and I didn't have to pay for the therapy. At the very worst, nothing would happen, right? And I would be the same as I was. So I went and spent a week with them. I walked in with PTSD and I left with none. And that was um, in 1990. And I haven't had a symptom of PTSD since. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I did I did 22 hours of work, I think. Keeping in mind, I'd done other work before, but I did 22 hours of work and um, no more symptoms. And there were other things I still needed to figure out, but I went from victim to survivor. Actually, it was already in survivor mode by that point. But I moved from survivor back into life. And so not only did I research it, but I started working with people that way. One of the reasons people get stuck is there is this attitude that, when something's happened, you, all you can do is manage it, that it cannot be finished. And to me, that's a big lie. Things can be finished. We all finish things all the time. Trauma is not special that it can't be finished. It's, it's how it needs to be approached in order to be finished. There are all sorts of reasons why certain types of trauma are hard to deal with. It's about having the, doing the right work, having the right therapy and having a therapist with the attitude that you can actually move to where you're no longer a survivor and where you're just in life. And that's part of your past. Yeah. You know, I always ask people, you know, if, if things can't be finished, do you remember every single thing from your childhood as live and intense and upsetting, like every skin, knee. If I ask you to talk about a skin knee, are you going to burst into tears? And people will say, don't be ridiculous. That was when I was three and it, it, it's done, right? This is no different. It's about what you need to do to finish it.
0: Yeah, it's a really, it's a tough call. And you're the second therapist whose book I actually read from Amazon. The other one was a therapist I was going to work with. And I actually had to end up uh, reporting her. She had me crying like she was screaming. And I wouldn't even call it like tough love. It was just when you, I think when some people fail to realize you deal with someone that's an only child and you come out of an abusive relationship with oodles and oodles of gaslighting. And that's the first time I ever learned what (laughs) gaslighting really was. I mean, it's a different type of territory, especially given my past. So yeah, she made me cry, but you... I like your book. So, I mean, I think it's, it's amazing what you're doing and you seem like a very um, calm and, you know, serene person when speaking with people, there's also a lot of judgment that comes along in therapy when you go to therapists and you explain to things about your past. Now, do you believe in what some people say about ghosts? Like when you're a child and you see a ghost, did you ever hear about this? Well, I mean, certainly there,
1: you know, I've heard about other entities and ghosts. I mean, I lived in a very old house, In the UK, you know, that had a resident ghost. So, but what are you referring to
0: exactly? Yeah, I think I'm going to fire this woman. Okay, so someone said that if a child sees a ghost, it's because they were touched as a kid.
1: Oh, no. Okay, you can't make that kind of interpretation. So here's the thing about interpretation and judgments. As a therapist, you have to be really careful what you're interpreting sometimes it can be right in front of your face you can go oh this means that and you're totally wrong so you have to be really careful the way that i work with people with trauma i'm not going to judge whatever comes out of a person's mouth i don't care what it is i mean to me what's most important when we're working because i'm quite structured is you tell me what's ever on your mind and i'll say to people including that you hate my hairstyle or you can't stand the look of the room Because if you're thinking about it and you're not saying it, then you're focusing on what you're thinking about and you won't move forward from that. You'll be stuck on this thing that you're not saying. I'm not going to be offended. It's just how things are, right? It's part of working, but also the fact that I'm not going to judge anything that someone says. That's what makes people shut up is that fear of judgment is that, you know, somebody comes in and they want to talk about kink or they want to talk about sex work or they want to talk about um, being abused as a child, or they want to talk about being um, a conservative Christian or, you know, it could be anything. Right. And the other person opposite them is being judgmental about what they're saying. It's not about the therapist. The therapy is about you. And so that requires that I can hear whatever you have to say without judgment. I don't have to take it into my life. That's not what this is about. This is about wherever you are and not interpreting it. I'm going to ask questions to help you interpret it. I might suggest you go look at something because I think it, it might be useful to you, but to say, it's really dangerous to say, well, if you see this, when you're a child, that means you were sexually abused or assaulted. I mean, that's how the whole satanic panic got started, which is going back around again, apparently. So there's a whole bunch of, of things about, there is actually some sexual abuse that takes place in religious cults, right? That exists. But there was this whole period of time where therapists were interpreting what they were being told, and were shaping memories by leading with their interpretation of what the person was saying. And... In those situations, you can end up believing something that didn't happen. And that's really damaging.
0: It's scary. What are your thoughts on hypnosis? Do you think that's really a thing that helps? And I think it's so hard to find people that actually do a good job.
1: Hypnosis is fantastic for weight loss. Oh, okay. um, And for um, smoking cessation and uh, fear of certain things. It's really good for dealing with things where they can make a suggestion that isn't controversial. Like if you're doing a weight loss hypnosis, the suggestion might be you only eat when you're hungry. You'd be surprised how few people only eat when they're hungry, right? (laughs) Right. Lots of people eat emotionally. They eat because they're watching a commercial on television where there's food, right? So the suggestion might be, so there's nothing controversial about that kind of a suggestion. Therapeutic hypnosis For other things, it depends on a person's training. I don't use hypnosis for those sorts of, for other sorts of things. I will use it with somebody for concrete, like smoking cessation. And I don't do a lot of it these days because it's not, it's not the area I focused on. Though I am, I am fully trained. I just, it's just not my thing. Um, But sometimes it's appropriate to use it with a client. So I will. Like relaxation, hypnosis is great for helping people deep relax. The problem with hypnosis, with trauma and things like that is it is far too easy because the person's in a suggestible state when they're hypnotized to suggest something that takes hold that turns out not to be true at all. So there are people I know who are reputable, who I would trust. But it's it's a you have to be very careful.
0: Yeah, I think I'd be very scared to just sit there and not know like what's going to happen. It's like it could be a bad magic trick, like gone wrong or something. And then there you go. Something else happens and comes out of it. So I see all these books behind you. Are you working on a new book? What are you doing?
1: Okay, so at the moment um, I am working on a book on um, being in a polyamorous monogamous couple where one person's non-monogamous and the other person's monogamous. Okay. And how to to deal with that. That's, that's the current um, project at the minute. And I'm working on another book of erotica. I'm about halfway through that, but I've been stalled because I've had, um, because I had the TV show this this year and and now we're going to do it again. So that was kind of fun. And so I ended up with my attention on, other projects. So I got stalled, but I'm back to writing again. So I've got the two going on. Tell us about the TV show. So the show is called Open House, The Great Sex Experiment. It's on channel four in the United Kingdom. Um, We did series one this year. And um, the show is where we take monogamous couples who want to open up their relationships and be non-monogamous and we bring them to a retreat and there are available singles there or couples there who are non-monogamous and I work with them to help them decide what they want to try and they go try some stuff out and I work with them again to help create a foundation for them opening up or for them to realize that this isn't for them. And it's a lot of fun. We had a really good time last year. Um we're doing it again. So, um in the spring, I'm hoping that it'll be visible other countries soon because yeah. this year This year it was because it was primetime TV in the UK, so you couldn't see it anywhere else. I do a watch party so people can watch it with me, but um, yeah, it'll be cool if it's it's actually available in other countries this year.
0: It sounds like a Netflix thing. One thing, like I love, I love living in England. I always go back, it's like a second home to me. Uh, What is it, ITV4, was that the network? No, Channel 4. Actually, great, Channel 4. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Um,
1: yeah, no, uh, it, it it could be a Netflix thing. That's so amazing. you know, maybe yeah. Netflix will hear us and make it a Netflix thing because then it would be international.
0: Well, they have a lot of very good international shows. In fact, I got turned on to a lot of amazing series there, including Principles of Pleasure. I had mm-hmm. uh, Dirty Dirty Lola was one of my guests. She had a lot to say about that. But this whole focus on um, some people call it swinging and so forth. What made you decide to talk about? polyamorous
1: relationships? Well, okay. So swinging is, first of all, swinging is different from polyamory. Okay. And they're all, they're forms of non-monogamy. Um, and so um, polyamorous people have more than one relationship that also includes emotional intimacy. So it sex and emotional intimacy, whereas swinging has got a very particular set of rules where people are going out as a couple to enjoy themselves. And then you've got other forms of non-monogamy where people might be having sexual experiences with other people, but not really having deep emotional romantic relationships with anybody, but one person. Um, I mean, I guess the reason that I, you know, the reason that I got into being on the show is I live like that anyway. I'm polyamorous. Um, And so, and I work with a lot of people who are in various stages of, and in various types of non-monogamous relationships Um, And so I ended up writing this book that I'm working on now because I get a lot of people come to me where one person says I'm non-monogamous and the other person says I'm monogamous and they don't want to split up. And so it's, you know, the question I got asked, I think in 2017 was, is it possible to make this work? And I wrote a blog post and um, for about, I don't know, four years, like 60% of my referrals came off of that one blog post. Like people kept coming to me because of that blog post. It's tailed off a bit recently, but it it was like, that was a thing. Is it possible? Is it possible? And the reason they came to me is because I said, yes, it's possible. And everybody else said, no, it's not. <laughs> um, it is possible. It's just hard work. Like everything, you have to look at what the trade-off is.
0: Yeah, well, so... Now, I agree with you on this because now I'm just trying to get right, my head around this. I was in a relationship with someone in Norway who took me to swingers club. So I saw what that whole thing was. I just never I didn't know that it was this whole other world and like people kept it like so under wraps. But people you would least expect you'd see there like your hairdresser, um, the guy from the 7-Eleven down the street. It's like, yeah. oh, nice to see you here. What are you doing here? But yeah. it's a very interesting topic to talk about with a polygamous and non-polygamous people or monogamous people in a relationship, because there's some people that want it for their partners. You know, they'll continue being monogamous and they would like to let their partners do whatever, like have affairs. This is why I feel as though prostitution should be legal in some countries, because it's perfectly fine. You know, you're not doing any harm. And at the same time, it's, you know, you're contributing to someone's monetary situation Yep. And there's no string attached whatsoever. Are you, what are your thoughts on cuckery or cucks? Okay. So, so cup, the, the whole cuckold world
1: is, is, is a very specific world. And again, you know, this is, a, this is a thing where the man is getting off on his wife, having sex with another man, primarily. Now there are the reverse situations, right? Um, but primarily it's a man who gets off on his wife, having sex with another man. Um, and, um, usually that other man is bigger than he is, um, more muscular than he is more attractive than he is, or at least he perceives it that way. Sometimes there's a whole interracial element, sometimes not, um, you know, if this is what floats your boat, why not? I mean, for me, it's, it's all about consent. It's all about being open and honest with each other and coming to agreements as to what's okay in your relationship and what isn't. And if that's what turns you on, that's great. There's a whole world and a whole social world around this that, you know, similar to swinging, you know, whereas other forms of non monogamy may not have as many uh, structured social activities, right? But swinging's got its own social world. Well, so does cuckold. It's got its own social world. And if it's what turns you on, who's to say that's wrong?
0: Exactly. And I feel as though so many people are sexually uptight, in so many different societies, this is why I'm grateful to have people like Dr. Bisbee out there because she puts it in perspective for people. And I know that there are a lot of you listening to this that are like, wait, wait, what? And you're going to read the book secretly. I know that. Whether it's to conquer some kind of trauma. And where was the blog that you wrote? So the blog is on
1: um, com. It's on my website. Um, and it needs severe updating. So hopefully that's happening I, you know, because I've been writing other places, I've got a media page with like podcasts I've been doing with people, you know, all the podcasts I've been on and the, um, and the articles I've been a part of recently, I've been doing a whole bunch of media stuff, which has been an awful lot of fun, but I do need to update my blog too, but there's still a load of content there. There's also, you know, my podcast has been running since 2016 um, and the A to Z or A to Z of sex, depending on what country you're in. And um, there's a lot of stuff there um, on every topic you can imagine about sex with lots of different people coming on the show. Um, it's, um, I think what's important is that people actually learn what they desire. And so many people haven't a clue. They don't even know where to start.
0: Yeah, it's a different world now. And I don't think sex ed is really quite, you know, the way we had it back then. When I was a child, my mom actually had a child therapist teach me about the birds and the bees of all things. Oh, I mean, you- <laughs> it explains a lot now, doesn't it? Now uh, I was a late bloomer, but uh, that's who taught me about the birds and the bees. But it was so weird, like learning about this, this thing with these puppets, and don't get me wrong. I like marionettes. They're pretty cool. But just as a kid, like reading these books and like learning that not really doing anything to you're like 17 years old. It's just a different way to grow up. It was, yeah.
1: I mean, sex ed, sex ed it, to me still remains diabolical because they don't teach enough soon enough. And the things that really need to be taught are the things that are not being taught, right? Things like um, what consent looks like, things like your body can bring you pleasure and you need to understand what makes you feel good. You know, things like there's a wide variety of ways to be attracted to people out there. And um, there isn't one way that is the only way. Um, I mean, I do think it's important that kids learn about anatomy and that they learn about um, preventing pregnancy and they learn about preventing STDs. But that's not the be all and the end all of what they should be learning. There's so much they should be learning that we don't teach them. And and I I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because of the way politics are going. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better.
0: Oh, 100%. And I just feel like maybe it's the parents job to do more of that at home. And uh, it's hopefully, you know, that's what happens somehow, even it's a touchy subject, though, it always has been a taboo topic. The problem
1: is, you know, while I agree with you that preferably the parents would do it, parent, many parents grow up in dysfunctional situations, so they don't know any better. Um, And they don't, they don't, give decent education because they haven't had decent education or because they suffer from the same taboos that, you know, that their parents did because their parents have passed them down. And so they don't know how to talk about it. it. And it's just really about being frank and honest and open about how things work. And actually when you are and you teach your kids how to make decent decisions and how to risk assess, that they actually make better choices, not worse choices. I mean, the, the fear always is that a child will choose to have sex young and they'll do the wrong thing and they'll, but actually the more information people have, the more likely they are to say, okay, this is complicated. I'm going to wait because it's complicated. I see it. I understand. I see what the consequences are. I'm going to slow it down rather than I'm going to speed it up.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes what you have to do in life, and of course, not under really bad traumatic situations. It's an adventure. You know, I could honestly say, a lot of people ask, Oh, do you have regrets about XYZ? If you have regrets about XYZ in your life, then you wouldn't be where you are today doing the things you're doing. And around half the people you've met. And that's one thing I had so many different roads to go. But if I didn't do this or do that, then I never would have met like Lemmy for Motorhead. I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't have just come into this whole crazy world, which is amazing. How how did you end up in London, by the way? So
1: (laughs) yeah. So um, so I told you about the therapy, right? (laughs) And uh, so I went to a conference for that type of therapy shortly after I that and um and I met my British then my British husband. So I met this Englishman. Um, I was on the rebound from a relationship. I'd been really, I, I had been engaged for the first time and it had ended badly. And, and then I met this strikingly handsome man with an amazing accent um, <laughs> and um, impulsively, very impulsively um, I married him. So, um, you know, so that's how I ended up over here because I, because I decided to marry this Englishman uh, that didn't last. It lasted eight years and um by the time we split, I was settled. So I stayed because I had a business and I had a life and I stayed. And so now I've lived here longer than I lived in the US because I've been here 32 years and I was 27 when I came. So where are you from originally in the States? So originally I'm from um, New York and then um, New Jersey and then boston and then north carolina and then southern california san diego area before i moved here
0: whoa that's like a whole woof yeah Yeah. i grew up in new york city then i moved to california at some point then it's been this love hate thing since the 90s but it's always like a back and forth thing for me that's uh that's amazing well you've built quite an empire for yourself (laughs) To oh, me, you're amazing. And at the show, I hope I get to see the TV show on Channel 4 in the UK. Uh, it just, that's just, that's wonderful. And I'm glad like mainstream places are finally, mainstream stations can actually show a show like this that explores different parts of sexuality and different types of relationships people um, will have. That was what I was so excited about. <laughs> the reason I got so excited
1: about this project in part was because it's mainstream and because it's like, it's not a straight reality show. It's, it's, um, it's, they call it edutainment. So there's the education part and there's the entertaining part. And, you know, there's no kicking people off the show or anything like that. Um, but you know, there, but, but, you know, there, there's drama and entertainment and sex. There was sex last time, you know, and you see a lot more on television in the UK than you do in the U S always. Um, but then there's the education part, the work with me. And so people get this kind of round picture. And I looked forward to the opportunity to educate people in a way that they were more likely to take it in because they're watching something fun and they can actually see it. Um, and, and it's been, it's it's so cool to, to be, I feel privileged to be in that position. Um, I've had people like send me emails saying, you know, we watch the show. So, and we listen to the question you ask and then we pause the show and we talk to each other about the question you ask you know and like so using the what I was doing with the individual couples with each other to 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 explore themselves and stuff it's just been great fun Um, and so I feel really privileged to be able to do it again and to really on a mainstream channel so that people can see that actually people live very differently And that all the ways that we can choose to live are valid. It just might not be for you. I mean, somebody asked me, you know, do you do you think you promote non-monogamy? And do you you know, are you trying to convert people? It's like, no, you do you. Right. What I promote is choice. I promote people knowing themselves well enough and knowing enough about what's out there and having the skills to make an educated choice for themselves. That's what I think is important.
0: Well, you're also giving them the information as well so they could see what the synopsis could be. Maybe this might happen. Maybe yep. C or D might happen. And most importantly, I'm glad that people do not get kicked off of the show because that's just got to be embarrassing to get thrown off of a show like that. It's just it's yep. humiliating in a way. So it seems very um, like a very supportive uh, environment to be in a show like that. That sounds like so much fun. It's like I want to be there now. It's like this sounds so cool. It's like they're always casting. Yeah, they're, they're are cast, they?
1: <laughs> the moment, they're casting at the moment for um, for singles and couples who want to, to to join in. So you know you can put your name through.
0: Hey, you never know. It's just they're all be hey, but yeah, that's a very good way. They have a paradise hotel and things like that. But I feel as though it's too hoaxy. and you don't have a licensed professional that actually knows what they're doing to promote any type of lifestyle in a, um, in a positive way, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, that's, for
1: me, that's the difference. I mean, I think when you look at things like Love Island and stuff like that, that like there's a competition that happens there. That's the point of the show. And that's not, that's not this. We're not doing that. We want people to try things. And so it does get spicy and it does get saucy, but I'm there to make sure that people have a place to land, you know, and that they can process whatever happens. Um, So it's got a whole different flavor to it. So as spicy as it gets, at least they know that they're, you know, they get to see what happens afterwards and they get to see the process afterwards where I think, you know, I wouldn't do it if it had just been like a straightforward reality show, I wouldn't have done it because I wouldn't have felt okay about that. Like if I'd been in the background, just advising while they just sort of, Threw themselves into something
0: they knew nothing about. I wouldn't have felt comfortable. Boring, actually, like very mechanical. What do you do when you're not busy? I'm sure you have something. What do I do when I'm not busy?
1: Um, Let's see. I've got two dogs. Oh. Um, I have a 20 year old. I have an amazing husband. I've also got a couple of amazing partners. Um, I play um, cello badly and piano better. (laughs) I love music. I like to sing. I like concerts. I like um, I like to write for fun as well. And I like to be out in nature. You know, and I cook. I cook up a storm.
0: See, that's amazing. I like the nature. Maybe like one day I'll run into one of the wombles or something if I stroll into. Oh, me. yeah. You're
1: going to go. You're going to go hiking on Wimbledon Common, are you? Yes. And see if Uncle Bulgaria bumps into
0: me. Hello.
1: Yeah, I love it. No, no I love the theater. That's the other thing. I love the theater as well. So I go to the theater. Um, it's different since COVID. Yeah, uh, I do. I do a lot less, um, you know, kind of being out in clubs and, and things like that than I used to um, because it's risky and I'm older and I, I also have immune, um, autoimmune disorder. So I take medication that puts me at higher risk. So I'm, I'm more careful than I was, um, which kind of is a drag cause I miss some of the buzz. Um, but you know, I found other ways to deal with that. So I try and see my partners more. I travel when I can. Um, but I, I, I don't have a lot of downtime.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like so many things to do and to pen more books. But thank you so much for coming on. I did want you to give us your plugs as well, please. Okay, so I appreciate this.
1: it has been a lot of fun. Um the easiest place to find stuff out about me is drlauribethbisby.com. Um that's got a media page with links to articles, podcasts and all sorts of stuff. It's got my blog, my podcast, um all of my services I'm on Instagram at Dr. Bisbee. I'm on TikTok at Lori Beth UK, and Twitter. It's at Dr. Bisbee. I'm also on Facebook, but I don't spend a lot of time there. So you're more likely to catch me on Instagram than you are Facebook. I just don't. I used to. I just don't spend a lot of time there. Um, you can email me, LoriBeth at DrLoriBethBisbee.com. And I've got um, a couple of groups starting in the autumn. One is on navigating non-monogamy. Which is a six month group, and it's all about how to navigate lifestyles where you have more than one partner. And so we have a topic for each month, but then you have individual time as well to talk within the group about whatever's going on for you. And another one on um, power dynamics in BDSM. So having a relationship where there's a power exchange, and that's also six months. Um, Again, a topic as well as individual time. So those are fun. If you mention this show on any of my products, um, you can put in, let's do a coupon code.
0: Yes. You
1: can put in Jasmine as a coupon code. Yeah. Without an E. Without an E, guys. So if you put in Jasmine as a coupon code on any of them, you'll get 25% off. I like so.
0: that.
1: You can do it. I'm not going to take it down. So it doesn't matter when they hear this or when they log in, they can use it as a coupon yeah. code. So that, that includes everything from individual work all the way through to groups, all the way through to DIY courses.
0: Yeah, it's definitely worth it. I mean, I've, I've learned a lot from speaking with you in the past 50 minutes. It's amazing. And I'm ready to fire my therapist or if she didn't fire me already, but yeah. She's so fired, like after speaking to you, it's amazing. I mean, you there just- There is
1: another you know, thing, because we're talking about therapy, there is yeah. another thing. If you are having trouble finding a therapist because you don't know how to interview the therapist to figure out whether you're confident in their ability and whether it's a good fit, email me and put in the subject therapy questions. I have a sheet of questions to ask a prospective therapist. And I would say to you, you need to remember that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you for the at the, at the beginning. So in the first session, some therapists shouldn't be therapists. I know. <laughs> um, some therapists are great, but not for you. And anybody worth their salt won't feel bad if you say you're not for me, right? It's just, they might even try and give you a referral. And sometimes they'll say, well, you're not, we're not going to be the best fit. I turn clients away, you know, because there are things that I'm better at and things that I'm worse at. And I'll be like, that's not, that's not my thing. Here are some names or here's where you can look for somebody who's going to suit you better. You just have to be really upfront about stuff like that. So that's another thing. If you want that, that's perfectly free. Just email me and put therapy questions and I'll send that in. It's amazing.
0: So yeah, check out her book and check out all of her links. It's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee and I will be posting the, uh, the socials and so forth. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. You have been a complete delight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Enjoying the ride on my crazy train? Woo! Please make sure to rate and review crazy train podcast. Take a screenshot, send it to me in a DM via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And I will send you a free goodie bag. Oh, and crazy train podcast is now on YouTube. So subscribe crazy train podcast. That's with a K on YouTube for video interviews and never heard before interviews, and some really cool bonus content. Woo!